now we begin. And so it begins. And so it begins. How are you doing? Oh, you know. I'm... I still exist. Well, that's good. Is it? Yeah, why not? (laughs) Existing's Uh, always fun. Is it? (laughs) (laughs) No. You're right. I was like, you can lie to yourself all you want, but you can't lie to me. (laughs) No, you're right. Um... Yeah. How are you? I'm good. You know, just trying to get through August. Existing. Um, yeah, apparently we're halfway plus through August. We are. That didn't occur to me. Yeah, Until we are. somebody said something about 2023 to me today, and I was like, oh, but that's not until like a year from now. Nope. I don't need to hear that negativity in my life. Yeah, I was going to say, that's like, don't do that. Don't do that to people in in Caitlin Land, where we're all welcome. It's still February. Like, we no, can just we can just hang cold. out. No, but, I just mean in the state of mind, not in the weather. Okay, fine. Yeah, but it's gonna be Spooktober soon, which mm-hmm. means you get two episodes uh, a week on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And yep. also, we're doing our Secret Satan gift exchange, which we'll we talk are. more about at the end. But uh, we talked about it. Um, the last couple episodes. Two episodes we talked about Secret Satan? I think so. I don't know. You can join. Uh, it's a fun gift exchange. We'll talk about it at the end. But now we should probably get to our actual episode. Yes. I w- well, actually, before we do that, maybe okay. we should get to the fact that I'm Caitlin, you're Haley, <gasps> and this is Crime Culture. It is. Yeah. <laughs> Let them know what episode of what we're listening to, you yes. know? Good. Like, yes. just in case. You know? We'll- Introing the podcast. We'll get there eventually. Always on top of it. Well, (laughs) if you just read the title, we're talking about the Soul Asylum song, Runaway Train. Do you know why we're talking about this song? No, I don't even know the song. Okay, cool. Because... Okay. (laughs) uh, If you heard it, you might know it. It's like one of those like soft alt-rock songs that was on the radio for a long time. Can Uh, I get a year? It 1994, I think, is when it peaked. It won a Grammy. We're going to get to it. Hmm, um, 1994 is when I peaked. That is when you peaked. When I was born. <laughs> yes. And that's, that's the peak of your existence. Yup. Birth. Specifically, the four months leading up to the birth. Yeah. That's when I peaked. Um, but we are going to talk about this song and uh, its relation to various true crime cases which uh, is going to be really fun to tell you about. But first, I probably should tell you who the fuck Soul Asylum is. Yeah, I would Um, appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, because um, for our younger listeners, they might not know the name. So are you saying I'm young? Yeah, I got (laughs) carded this weekend. So hmm. yeah, but they probably had to. (laughs) No, I mean, they did ask my mom for her card. but. I mean, Lisa looks great. She was more flattered. I was like, Lisa's a fucking piece. Um, So, Soul Asylum. They were (laughs) formed in 1981 in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and they're an alt-rock band. Uh, Their original name was Loud Fast Rules um, with members Dave Perner, who actually dated Winona Ryder from 1993 (gasps) to 1996, connection to another episode we just did. Yes. The only reason why I noticed is because when I was looking up about the band, there's a photo, like a, a paparazzi photo of them together, and I was like, tell me more. Um, no, that, like, that. I know that name. He showed up in my research, but I didn't, yeah. I was like, I'm not going to get into, like, who she dated and everything. I don't have time for that, and I don't, like, I don't well, want to deal with that. And, oh, my God. So See, he's, full circle. he's the front man, Dave Perner. Um, also, there is Dan Murphy, Carl Mueller, and Pat Morley. Uh, they changed their name to Soul Asylum in 1983. They released five albums with little commercial success until 1992 when they released Grave Dancers Union, which went triple platinum and featured Damn. the song that we're talking about today, Runaway Train. Okay. Early the next year, the band performed at Bill Clinton's inauguration. Well, shit. Yeah. Are they from like Arkansas? No, they're from uh, Minneapolis. Oh, same yeah, you said that. Prince, like, same as uh, the guess, replacements, same as... There's a bunch of cool bands out of Minneapolis. Yeah, but I guess I just didn't... I didn't know why 
they performed at the inauguration, but I guess that means they were Bill that popular. Bill Clinton's chill as hell. Chill Blinton. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so three years later, their album, Let Your Dim Light Shine, also went platinum. Um, unfortunately, Mueller was diagnosed with cancer in 2004, and the band organized a benefit concert on his behalf, and he passed away the next year. The band Shit. released four more albums over the next 15 years, with their most recent being Hurry Up and Wait in 2020. And the current band lineup, according to Wikipedia, because they went through several members, is mm -hmm. um, founding member Dave Perner, Michael Bland, Winston Roy, and Ryan Smith. Okay. And that's who Soul Asylum is. Huh. Um, but we're here to talk about the song. So... Runaway Train. The Power Ballad won the Grammy for Best Rock Song in 1994. It peaked at number five on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 and sold more than 600,000 copies in the U.S. Well, shit. Outside North America, it reached number two in New Zealand, Norway, Sweden, and Switzerland and peaked within the top five charts in several other European countries. And this is like the song that helped Grave Dancers Union go multi-platinum. How do I not know it? I like, know. If you, like, again, if you heard it, you would be like, okay, yeah, kind of, I got that. Okay. Unfortunately, we can't play anything on this podcast because <gasps> legal. You could sing it. I don't think I will. <laughs> um, but Larry Flick from Billboard wrote of the song, quote, Acoustic anchored mid-tempo tune has a sweet string-lined undercurrent that is the perfect embodiment of the song's cinematic romantic lyrics Icing on top is a restrained lead vocal and pillowy harmonies. Deserves mm. immediate play. Quote. Wow. I love a review that has so many descriptors. Yes. <laughs> it's fun. Yes. Uh, Dave Sholin from the Gavin Report said in his review, quote, groups like Soul Asylum don't come around very often and neither do songs like this one. For a riveting and chilling experience, go immediately to your VCR, dating the uh, review a little bit, and watch the video, which gets my vote as best of the year, a song that truly deserves to become a runaway hit, end quote. So David Perner wrote the song about his depression, and it said that he took a few years to complete it. He said he had the tune in his head for a while, but had different lyrics that didn't really work out so much. And only later did he think of the metaphor of the runaway train and depression. Mm -hmm. And once he had that, he sat down and wrote the lyrics in one sitting in like a half hour, one article said. Um, and when he showed it to the rest of the band, they all really liked it. And when the band first played the song at a show at the University of Minnesota, their manager said, quote, that's the one. That's the one that's going to change your band. End quote. Oh, wow. And it really was kind of a departure from what they had been playing earlier because I read that Perner had um, tinnitus so mm -hmm. from playing such loud music in small clubs and stuff. So he had the permanent ringing in his ears. So uh, this was kind of like a softer uh direction that they were going in and mm. it was one that like immediately hooked people in and the song has been covered many times from the band shinedown an english group called smoky uh busted who did the year 3000 yes they did uh before the jones brothers yes they um, did and it was even covered by d in an episode of it's always sunny in philadelphia okay so it's been in pop culture for a little again bit. all things i've somehow missed yeah I don't know how. Uh, but the real reason that we're talking about it, that's just a little bit of backstory. The real reason we're talking about it is because of this music video. So the video was directed by Tony Kay, who went on to direct American History X. And it was featured heavily on MTV and VH1 during its heyday. And it was posted to YouTube in February 2010. And as of the time of recording this, it has nearly 180 million views. Oh, wow. That's yeah. great. Good for them. Right? So there are a couple different versions of the video, and we'll get to why that is in a little bit. But the version shown in the United States begins with a black screen with big white block text reading, there are over one million youth lost in the streets of America, while the UK version begins with 100,000 youth are lost on the streets of Britain. Oh, wow. The, the next scene shows a drawing of an adolescent girl and a voiceover from Dave Perner saying that the drawing is by a girl who had run away more than 110 times. The scene is often taken out of the video uh, when it was shown on MTV and VH1 and stuff. 
um, which is apparently common practice when videos had additional footage before or after the song. And yeah. it, it's not in the official YouTube version, but there are like other cuts on YouTube uh, from different people that you can see that that little clip. Mm -hmm. um, but after Perner speaks in the video, it continues with various shots, obviously, of the band playing the song and Perner singing. And then there are a couple scenes interspersed among the other images. First, uh, in the first verse, a child is shown witnessing his grandfather beating and eventually killing his grandmother before fleeing. During the second verse, a young teenage girl is pimped out as a sex worker and is purchased by the grandfather abuser. Mm-hmm. Later, she is seen dragging, being dragged into a van by a gang. Afterwards, she is picked up by paramedics and taken to the hospital after being beaten. Oh. During the coda of the song, a small boy is snatched from his stroller from, by an older woman while his mother runs after the kidnapper's car. Oh Throughout God. the music video, various images of children running or appearing with injuries from abuse are shown. During the choruses, pictures of missing kids appear on the screen after each picture is shown their full name appears in large capital letters along with the year they had been missing since after the video in an ending that is not regularly shown perner says in front of the camera quote if you've seen one of these kids or you are one of them please call this number end quote and it would follow the screen following would show um a phone number that you could contact and actually mtv cut this part out because they didn't want the video to be confused with the public service announcement uh, but vh1 would show the uk version in its full length so it would show that part okay i mean i don't love it i can understand the they don't want it to be confused with something but uh, yeah well and i mean i'm sure that they're thinking of it from a term from like in terms of like okay people will think it's a public service announcement and so therefore the next time it's on they'll turn it off maybe yeah um but like yeah it's still it's still trying to do something good so maybe just yeah, leave it. let them let them do the good thing or yeah. like edit it in a different way like so that it like you the the network in a different way so that it includes this important message yeah. like you know well there were three original versions of the uh, like united states versions of the video totaling 36 missing kids shown the children shown varied with the location of the broadcast using missing kids from that area so mm -hmm. if you were from the west coast it would show kids that were currently missing on the wow. west coast or the east coast stuff like that wow so during the early discussions about making this music video, uh, Kay, the director, kept saying, milk cartons, milk cartons. And when mm -hmm. the band asked what he was talking about, Kay said, quote, the kids on the milk cartons, we should try to find them, end quote. Oh. And despite the fact wow. that missing kids weren't, like, on Perner's mind when he wrote the song, obviously mm -hmm. he wrote it about his own depression, he saw this as an opportunity to do some good, saying, quote, mm -hmm. whatever good came out of it, I think is something we should be proud of, end quote. Yeah. And at the time, though, record companies saw music videos as a promotional tool for the record and not as a public service announcement for missing kids and runaways. And Columbia Records, which was Soul Asylum's label at the time, almost dismissed the entire idea of this video. Um, but the band in their contract was given so much freedom, they had final say. So mm -hmm. they got the green light to make it. And Soul Asylum and Kay worked closely with Ernie Allen who was the founder of the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. Mm -hmm. And when Kay contacted Alan, he was very enthusiastic about the project. Alan spoke about the power of the milk carton campaign, saying, quote, uh, photos of missing children work, end quote. And we see that in uh, an ep the episode we did about uh, Aton Pates. Yeah. Like, he was, like, the first milk carton kid, and although... The ending is not what you would hope. Want it to be, yeah. Um, it, it, I think getting some kind of resolution, um, kind closure, of closure. Yeah, even yeah. yeah. It helped. Like it, again, it's not the the ending you would want, but at least you don't have to spend your whole life wondering if they're still out there. What's going on? Like, right. It, it gives you something to. Uh, have a funeral or something just to like 
put your mind at ease. Right. Well, and I'd venture to argue also that, I mean, I know that they're talking about like photos of kids work, but I think it would be the same thing as it, it brings to mind um, the case of Abby and Libby and how they're the, the Delphi murders, how that photo or that sketch of their believed attacker. Yeah. It, like how that's everywhere and that people are like making connections and whatnot. Like, I mean, in general, I'd say images are huge yeah, for that purpose. And it keeps them in the conversation. Yeah. Because the minute you, the minute they're not in, in the forefront, they're forgotten. Yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, I mean, Alan said, if enough people get to see the best images possible and information of these kids, it's a much better chance of finding the child. Mm -hmm. So Alan wanted Kay to promise that if any child featured in the video was recovered, that their photo be immediately removed and replaced with another missing child. And logistically, oh, yeah, but logistically in, in like the early 90s, this is mm. kind of a challenge. It meant that if things went according to plan, the director would have to repeatedly cut the video and best case scenario, and all of these kids being found, Kay would have to recut the video regularly. So it became like its own job to make this video. And that's kind of why there's so many different versions of it, because they did end up cutting uh, new videos together featuring different people. But, oh, I love that. And plus, like, they can do it now, though. Well, we'll get to that. Oh! <laughs> so when choosing which children would be featured in the video, it's a short video. It's a song length. What? maybe four minutes long. Um, mm. So not a lot of real estate there. Uh, but both Alan and Kay agreed to focus on kids the U.S. Department of Justice defines as endangered runaways. Mm -hmm. And these are the ones that are physically or sexually abused at home. They were substance dependent or in the company of someone known to be abusing drugs. Mm -hmm. uh, they also chose children who had been missing for at least a few years. Also, their absence had to be reported to the authorities and entered into the FBI's National Crime Database. Okay. Finally, it was crucial that the parents granted permission to broadcast the child's photo. And you're thinking, like, what, in what world would a parent not want this opportunity for their child? Mm. Well, at the time, there were 1.6 million runaways being reported each year. This is just in the United States. Yeah. But unlike the ones that ran away from home on the weekends or, you know, like the little kids that only make it down the block, mm -hmm. these were kids that had been missing for a while and were at a really great risk of harm. And Runaway Train alludes to a more darker reality in the last scene where the mother's running after a car of somebody that just snatched a baby out of a stroller. Yeah. And sometimes what looks like a runaway is actually an abduction or as we'll hear in a little bit, something worse. Alan says, quote, you don't ever really know in most missing person cases what the circumstances are, end quote. But to this day, Perner is involved with the Center for Missing and Exploited Children. He said of the video and its impact in an interview, quote, it was a really cool experience to realize that there's the potential for entertainment to have a positive effect on the real world, end quote. Mm -hmm. And a few weeks after the video premiered, Columbia said, uh, quote, you said kids would come back and no kids have come back yet. Let's take them out and put more pictures of the band in, end quote. Uh, but Kay said, quote, no, give it a moment, end quote. And kids did start coming back. Good. Like, that's, I mean, it, I, I just, I can't, like, imagine if they were just like, oh, it'll never work. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it just, that's, that's the dream. That's what you want. And I think putting it in the form of a music video actually had kind of its own separate impact because they were looking for teens and who's watching mm -hmm. this, but other teens right. and we'll get to it. Some of these kids saw themselves on the screen. <gasps> no shit. Yeah. So maybe it made, it gave them a wake up call gave them the push that they needed to get in contact with their families. Mm -hmm. um, there's a, like, I don't have a lot of the success stories, unfortunately, because they were minors, yeah. most, mostly minors at the time. Understandable. And uh, I don't know if a lot, like a lot of them probably just didn't want to come forward. And there's not a lot of, there's not a ton of information on 
the happy things that happened. But I do yeah. have some. So according to Rolling Stone, 21 missing children were found after being featured in the video. Kay says in, in an interview it was 26. Uh, I don't know if they're just going by the U.S. versions because there were separate mm. versions made for um, Australia, Germany, um, all over the place. So I wow. think it's 21 in the U.S. Almost okay. positive. Okay. But I couldn't still, find the exact details on that. Still, one would have been yeah the the biggest thing. But the first child to make it home was 16-year-old Elizabeth Wiles. She later recalled, quote, I liked a guy who was older than me, and my parents told me no, end quote. Mm. Um, Wiles was just 13 when she left her family in Lamar, Arkansas, to hitchhike to California with her boyfriend, Ron. Oh, wow. Once there, Ron worked odd jobs until the couple could afford a place to live. They planned, if anyone asked, to say that Wiles was 17. She said in an, in an interview, quote, people didn't seem to be overly concerned about a 17-year-old having a dysfunctional family and leaving home. Some people kind of sympathized with me a little bit and just looked the other way, end quote. Mm. The couple yeah. stayed in California for two and a half years while Wiles' family desperately tried to find her. While at a friend's house in San Diego in May 1993, Wiles saw her own face on MTV. Her father, Dwayne, had given her photo to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, never consulting with Wiles' mother, his ex-wife, Deborah. Mm. Nonetheless, the Runaway Train video had begun airing that month, and more and more people were seeing her face. Wiles recalled of the moment, quote, I just kind of freaked out, end quote. A week later, after some real consideration, she decided to call her mother. Wiles described herself as a stubborn person and, admit, and admitted that she had previously never tried to contact her mother. Mm -hmm. They both cried on the phone together. Wiles apologized for leaving and said she was finally ready to come home. According to Wiles, her mother always suspected she was alive. She said she just didn't know for sure, saying, quote, she said that she knew I was okay and if that there was something wrong, she would know, end quote. Mm -hmm. Wiles ended up meeting Soul Asylum once backstage at a concert in Little Rock, Arkansas. In August 1993, she appeared on NBC with her mom, Dave Perner, and Ernie Allen. While she dropped out of college, she said she had a really nice life. Quote, running away made me who I am, end quote. And without a doubt, the song remained a part of her life. Yeah. And apparently mm. she's still doing good. She's married. She's kids. She's good killing it. Good for her. Yeah. Good for her. Um, there's another six alleged success story. There's nothing really to confirm this, but... I think it's the top comment or one of the comments in the Runaway Train music video on YouTube um, is from somebody named Gary Hudson. And it says, quote, I can't believe I finally found this video. My sister was featured in this video when she went missing, but was found months later safe and sound. Love you, sis. End quote. Mm -hmm. And there's they seem to be referencing Ginger Sue Hudson, uh, okay. who is one of the, the girls that was in the video. Uh, mm -hmm. But again, she was a minor. I don't know. There's not a lot of other information about her case um, online. Um, but in 2006, guitarist Dan Murphy said in an interview with Pasadena Weekly that some of the cases featured in the video didn't end up as great. Quote, okay. some weren't the best scenarios. I met a fireman on the East Coast whose daughter was in the end of the video, and he'd been in a bitter custody battle with his wife over her. It turned out the girl hadn't run away, but was killed and buried in her backyard by her mother. Then, on tour, another girl told us laughingly, you ruined my life, because she saw herself in the video at her boyfriend's house, and it led to her being forced back into a bad home situation. End quote. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, I mean, some people run away from a misunderstanding or just childhood you can't tell me what to do but some run away from a situation that they're better off not being brought back to yeah. so but how are you supposed to know when when you're choosing people to feature in the video exactly like, there's I, no you don't have their side of the story unfortunately yeah. you just need to find them and get answers from there and right. you would hope that they wouldn't be forced back into a situation that is not healthy for them yeah um, but a couple of the others, Curtis Anthony Huntsinger, who was 14, was featured in the U.S. video and was located deceased in 2008. He disappeared from his home in Blue Lake, California on May 19th, 1990. 
In the days before he went missing, he told his parents he was being molested by a family acquaintance named Stephen Daniel Hash. Mm -hmm. And Hash was charged with voluntary manslaughter in the case in December 2008. Days later, he attempted to plead guilty, but the judge refused to let him. Hash led police to Huntsinger's body, which was entangled in tree roots in a shallow grave located off Old State Route 299 between Blue Lake and Corbel. So he wasn't that far away from home. No, that's fucking awful. Uh, But Hash was sentenced to 11 years in Folsom State Prison and ordered to pay $9,000 in restitution fees, which is low. Yeah, that's not enough in my opinion. Um, the UK version of the video featured Mark Bartley, a runaway who went missing in 1992. He was recognized in the video by a man who knew Bartley was staying in the tenant's house below them, but was unaware of his missing status. By the time the police arrived, Bartley and the man he was living with were gone. It's unknown what happened to him after this, but there is a man in the comments of the video on YouTube that claims to be Mark and says that he's with his family. Mm. Again, I don't know how much to believe from YouTube comments. Yeah. But I mean, um, I would hope that it's, it sounds like a, it's a positive thing. And for yeah. that case, I hope it's true. Yeah, that would be best case scenario. Um, but also featured in the UK version were Vicki Hamilton and Diana McNichol, who each went missing in 1991. Their remains were found in 2007 at a house in Margate. And, uh, killer peter tobin has since been convicted of both their murders i think he murdered a couple other people too i don't know if we i don't know if he we have enough info on him to do a full episode uh but i kept seeing his name pop up um the version shown in australia showed a number of young backpacking tourists whose families were looking for them many of those shown in the australian video including anja hashbeed gabor Neubauer and Simone Schmeidel were confirmed victims of serial killer Ivan Malott, who we covered in episode 12 of this very podcast, The Backpacker Murders. We did indeed. Yes. Um, Audrina Bauman was featured in the U.S. video. Her adopted father, Dennis Bauman, confessed to her murder in February 2020, so pretty recently. Her remains were located later that month and positively identified via DNA testing in May 2020. And Bauman was already serving two life sentences for another murder in 1980. So great dude. And he was sentenced to an additional 35 to 50 years for Audrina's murder. Mm-hmm. And uh, oh. I didn't want to end the video video. I didn't want to end <laughs> the episode without talking about um, at least in the U S there's definitely some in the international videos that haven't been identified or are still labeled as missing. But I wanted to talk about um, the U S ones cause we have most listeners in the U S. Mm-hmm. Um, so as of the time of recording, these are still some of the missing one is possibly solved. And that would be Thomas or Tommy Dean Gibson. And he is the last image in all three U.S. versions of the video. Um, And he disappeared from his front yard in Douglas County, more specifically Azalea, Oregon, on March 18th, 1991, at the age of two. Oh, wow. Yeah. Thomas's father, Larry Gibson, a former deputy sheriff, was convicted of second-degree manslaughter after prosecutors alleged that he accidentally, quote-unquote accidentally, killed Thomas when he shot at a stray cat in his front yard. And you hit a two-year-old? Yeah. What uh, but the fuck? Th- there were no remains ever found. Larry maintains his innocence and claims to have worked on finding his son since being released from prison in 1996. And this case was actually shown in an episode of Unsolved Mysteries as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but... There's more info on this case. I'm not going to like get too in the weeds with it, but there are a couple uh, inconsistencies with Larry's story. Um, basically, he was a deputy sheriff, so he knew that um, they would check his gun and mm-hmm. see when it was last discharged. So making the excuse for shooting at a stray cat would account for a missing bullet and yep. also any gunshot that had been overheard. Yep. And apparently... I don't know if this is true or not. This is what I was reading in an article that his patrol car's odometer uh, was shown to have traveled seven miles that weren't accounted for. Hmm. Um, So could have easily disposed of 
yeah something in those seven miles yeah um so yeah that's very sad that's yeah um there's also martha west dunn who was 15 when she went missing she was last seen at her home in dangerfield texas on september 5th 1990 around 2 20 p.m she was reportedly unhappy with the start of the new school year which had started the day before mm-hmm. and got into an argument with her parents around 10 p.m that night dunn talked to her 17 year old boyfriend eric owens on the phone the next day both the teens were gone and dunn's father john reported his daughter missing they were reportedly seen several times in hayworth oklahoma where owens's aunt lived but she denied seeing them mm. another theory was that they had hitchhiked to kansas where owens's mother lived but that also proved to be a false lead on september 30th john called the police and told them that he got a call from a friend in durant oklahoma who told john that he had seen dunn and owens looking quote dirty and hungry end quote he allegedly got them cleaned up and fed dunn's father told all of this to the deputy but the authorities never found them there was also a much darker theory that dunn's father suggested that maybe owens who was involved in drugs in oklahoma had been targeted by a drug dealer who had kidnapped them both however Mm -hmm. there was never a sign of a ransom demand that would point to any foul play something like that obviously if if they were kidnapped wouldn't it be for a purpose somebody would want something from them right yeah um but by the time runaway train aired on mtv the case was cold even the extremely popular video didn't move the needle much in the Dunn case. There was one tip that Dunn was working as a waitress in New Boston, but that wasn't true. Dunn is one of the only two long-term missing children cases in Morris County over the last three decades. Oh, wow. Yeah. Again, that is Martha West Dunn. Mm-hmm. Uh, Christopher Kurtz, who was 17, on April 20th, 1990, Kurtz told his mother, Alona, that he had a headache, and so she allowed him to stay home from school, home being Egan, Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Um, she went to work and returned around 3 p.m. and found a note from her son in the kitchen that read, quote, Mom, something important came up, feeling somewhat better, back at 6, unless I get lost. Love, Chris. End quote. Mm. Interestingly, the words get lost were underlined twice. Oh. The family van was gone, along with their dog, Bowser, who was usually leashed up in the yard during the day. Six o'clock came and went, and when Kurtz still didn't come home by 10 p.m., Alona called her sister, who lived in the area, and her husband, Jim, who was in Wisconsin on a business trip. When he was told that his son was missing, he drove back home immediately and got home just after midnight. There was still no sign of Kurtz. But his younger brother, Patrick, noticed that his father's 20-gauge shotgun was also missing. Oh, no. Yeah. The next day, the family received an envelope postmarked from Duluth and a handwritten letter addressed to mom, dad, and readers. Hmm. Curse wrote that he had lied about being sick so that he could take the family's 1988 blue Dodge Caravan to, quote, not even I know where, end quote. He said that he intended to take his life, but didn't give a reason. He wrote that he understood how much it would hurt his family and expressed regret, saying, quote, take heart, because if just one person is better off for having known me, my life will not have been wasted, end quote. The following day, which would be two days after he went missing, the car was found abandoned on the side of the road in Issaca County in northern Minnesota. Okay. Uh, But curse was never found, although he took the shotgun he didn't take any ammunition and nothing of his was ever recovered and curse did not run away for any known reason by all accounts he was a great kid he was a national merit scholar semifinalist, a member of the national honor society he was part of the high school swim team he loved camping skiing computers laser tag he played cello and clarinet in school and heartbreakingly jim and alona said of their son quote my pipe dream is that Christopher works for a little company in Cleveland, is married, and has three kids. Oh, God. So they yeah, like, even if he never contacts them again, they are just wishing the best good life. things for him. Yeah. yeah. That's, that is heartbreaking. I mean, and it's just like, it's so funny because it's like, oh, yeah, and he, he loved camping. He was a good student. He did a lot of after-school programs. But it just it just goes to, to show and to prove just that 
that doesn't matter. Yeah. That doesn't matter. You can still feel so alone in this world. Yeah. And I don't know. I don't know. It's just, it's really, it's sad. Yeah. But just for closure for his family, the name is Christopher M. Kurz, K-E-R-Z-E. Mm-hmm. And this is in Egan, Minnesota, if anyone has any details. Um, next, we have Andrea DeAnne Durham, who is 13. Mm-hmm. And she was last seen at the Royal Apartment Complex on the corner of Colonial Drive and Mayflower Avenue in Fort Walton Beach, Florida, where she lived with her mother and sister, on February 1st, 1990. And the three had recently moved to the area, and although Durham wasn't happy about it, she remained a good student. However, she did seem to fall in with a rough crowd. Shortly before she disappeared, Durham was sentenced to community service for her role as a lookout while her friends stole money from cars in a local restaurant's parking lot. Oh. Yeah. Not not a great thing to happen, but 13 years old, you're doing dumb shit. Yeah. According to her older sister, Durham's brush with the law hadn't really phased her much, so she wasn't too distressed about it. On the day she went missing, Durham's mother and sister went out to a meeting and asked her to vacuum while they were gone. Mm -hmm. She said okay, and when the two arrived home about two hours later, the door was unlocked. The vacuum Mm -hmm. was standing upright in the middle of the apartment, like on the floor. Um, Durham was gone, but all of her things, including her purse, were still inside. It was reportedly not like her to just leave by herself, and it the article that I read said this was at night. Mm. Um, so even more of a reason not to go out by yourself. But with the way that the vacuum was set up, it almost looked like Durham had been interrupted. So they called the police. And initially the police called it a runaway. The logic behind this being that Durham was unhappy with the new apartment. She had the relatively minor run in with the police for her role in the robbery. But there were also no f- signs of forced entry or a struggle. Mm-hmm. Um, however, the fact that none of her belongings were missing and she never had a history of running away made things a little more complicated. There's very little evidence in this case, and there has been no new sightings or leads since 1990. She just kind of like <sighs> disappeared. Yeah. Which is like, how do you, how does like, a person just disappear? Like, it's just, and that's not to put any blame on it's just like somebody's got to know something you know yeah i mean that's the whole point of like unsolved mysteries every time i watch it i get angry because i'm just like Mm -hmm. how does nobody how is there no other information about this person in Mm -hmm. this like i mean this was in 1990 but in this day and age we're still missing people Mm -hmm. yeah it's wild andrea durham in fort walton beach florida and is that durham spelt like durham north carolina d-u-r-h-a-m Durham, like North Carolina. Yes. Uh, next, we have Byron Page, who went by his middle name, Eric. Okay. He was 17. Page was last seen at a bus stop at Overhill and Slauson Streets in Los Angeles, California, on January 29th, 1992. He was planning to visit a music warehouse and video store about 20 miles away in West Hollywood. Employees of the store did not recall him entering the business that day and didn't say that he was a regular that they would have necessarily noticed. Mm -hmm. Paige's parents reported him missing by 7 p.m. that night. They filled out a missing persons report, but were told by the police that there was little they could do within the first 24 hours, which is uh, fully antiquated. We've talked about it before. You can start looking for a missing person immediately. You don't need to wait for 24 hours. But this was 1992, so it, I think it it varied by jurisdiction and whatever time it was, it, uh, whatever. I guess. <laughs> um, but with little help from authorities, Paige's parents drove themselves around Los Angeles looking for their child. Good for them. They called every number in his address book. They made and hung flyers. And as far as I read on the case, the only leads turned out to be cases of mistaken identity or just false. Um He didn't have any known problems in his life prior to his disappearance. Paige was an honor student and had perfect attendance and several letters of acceptance from schools within the University of California system. He was preparing to take his driving test the next day and was reportedly very happy with his life. Paige was never considered a runaway as he had never mentioned running away before, took nothing with him, and was so close to taking the next steps in his life 
And um, I did see in um, one breakdown that foul play is suspected in this case. Oh, wow. Yes. Ugh. Byron or Eric Page from Los Angeles, California. Mm. Kimberly Sue Doss, age 16, um, could possibly be going by Kimberly Kathleen Gardner. Um, Doss disappeared from her Davenport, Iowa home on September 1st, 1982. She left home for the Greyhound bus station to visit her father in Houston, Texas, but she never arrived at his house. Thursday's Child, which is a charitable organization that assists homeless or at-risk teenagers, claims to have made contact with Doss in 1984, two years after she disappeared. According to the charity, Doss was working as a sex worker on Hollywood Boulevard in California mm -hmm. under a pimp named James Wiseman. She had straight bleach blonde hair and was using the name Kimberly Gardner. Don Austin, who's the founder of Thursday's Child, would state in a 2005 article on the case that he could still vividly recall the woman from Hollywood and that he was positive she was Doss. However, this woman was four inches taller than Doss and reported uh, that four inches taller than Doss was reported to be. And Doss's mother was skeptical as well. So there was no investigation action taking place. Several years passed before investigators decided that Kimberly Gardner and Kimberly Doss could possibly be the same person. By that time, Gardner was no longer in Hollywood and she hasn't been seen again. And there have been no definitive identifications that could be established between the two names. Um, there are multiple crucial inconsistencies surrounding the date, place, and manner of her disappearance. If you want to look into it more, that's Kimberly Sue Doss, D-O-S-S. Mm-hmm. Um, we have Dwayne Edward Fochman, age 15, and he was last seen in the downtown area of Lincoln City, Oregon on July 22nd, 1986. And sadly, there's very little information about this case because there was no investigation. Mm -hmm. Fochman's disappearance was considered a runaway from the start. According to an unverified account of Web Sleuths, so take this with a grain of salt, Fochman was seen getting into a red Corvette on Highway 101, leading to the runaway conclusion. So I don't know for sure if that's true, but at least there's Web Sleuths online who are attempting to look into this case because there's literally that's the only information I could find. Yeah. Uh, similar with Wilda oh, can May. Can you spell? Sorry, sorry, sorry. Um, can you spell Dwayne because there's multiple spellings? It's D-U-A-N-E, last mm -hmm. name F-O-C-H-T-M-A-N, okay. and last seen in Lincoln City, Oregon. Um, Thank you. But similarly, Wilda May Benoit, I think is B-E-N-O-I-T. That's French, right? Benoit, because Benoit? It might be Benoit also because Melissa Benoist from okay. the Glee episode that we did. Oh, yeah, sure. Wilda May Benoit, age 14. There's, again, very little evidence in her case. Um, she was last seen in her home in Creole, Louisiana, on July 23rd, 1992. This one is wild because she had just come home from the hospital after suffering an injury to her shoulder. She was still in a hospital gown and under the influence of painkillers. Uh, painkillers she took nothing with her when she left her parents left for a little while um came back and she was just gone oh my god so i think being under the influence of heavy painkillers maybe she could have been more suggestible maybe maybe someone let her off i don't know she was in a fucking hospital gown she didn't run away well i mean i i, I actually was going to say if she was on painkillers and her parents left her be not to blame the parents but she could have like wandered off if she was maybe loop, loopy enough but i say that as somebody who has been very loopy how far could she possibly have gotten i'm not saying that somebody didn't pick her up after that yeah i'm just saying like it, that could have been another thing that like she just fell into yeah the wrong place at the wrong time maybe she fell into something literally and yeah. was just there but i just <sighs> yeah um john lango age 17 he was last seen walking away from his home in pottsville pennsylvania at midnight on january 1st 1988 earlier that night he and his girlfriend had gotten into an argument over how they would celebrate new year's so they went their separate ways and lango spent the night drinking at his house with friends 
and not much information is actually available but there seemed to be an altercation that night and the police were called to the house apparently not wanting to deal with the situation lango walked away and was never seen again wow um he was reportedly very friendly and a likable senior at pottsville area high school Mm -hmm. and got along with almost everyone in different cliques one of his friends did comment that he seemed quote a bit sullen end quote in the year before his disappearance and had often offhandedly uh spoke about running away to new york city it's unknown what triggered this mood change and if it has any bearing on his disappearance um but he left uh, he left from his home without taking anything so reason would believe if you're gonna run away you'd at least take i don't know your wallet yeah <laughs> anything yeah um but yeah he had nothing i was in pottsville pennsylvania john lango l-a-n-g-o um patrick sean betts who goes by his middle name sean mm -hmm. he was 11 years old and betts was last seen on january 20th 1988 According to the Charlie Project, Betts was with his mother and sister at the Pizza Chalet in Upland, California, having a late dinner around 9 p.m. He asked his mom for some quarters to play arcade games with a friend. And when he came back to his table a little while later, he asked if he could go to Upland High School with this friend to watch a basketball game. His mother said okay, and Betts ran off with an unidentified teenage boy and was never seen again. Oh. One article I read said that there wasn't even a game in Upland that night, that it was in Chino. Mm -hmm. I don't know if Betts knew this. What Could he have been lying to run away with this friend to go do something else? The, the person that he left with, allegedly left with, was never identified. Well, and because that's all right by me, um, like Upland and Chino. Yeah. And so up Upland, I like my, my aesthetician is in Upland. Like I love Upland. Um, but like I can see because like Chino isn't like bad, uh -huh. but it's like, it's next to Chino Hills, which is very bougie. And Chino Hills is like, it, it makes Chino look not as good. I can see people being like, oh, I don't want you to go to Chino. Or like, it's it's not like, it, it's- And this was in like, the late 80s. So I don't know how much it has well, changed or remained the same since yeah, then. I don't know. Yeah, and, and I mean, furthermore on top of, furthermore on top of that, goodness gracious. Um, but like on top of that, it's like a 20 minute, drive from like they're like 20 minutes from each other mm -hmm. so like the mom could also just be like i don't want to drive 20 minutes to chino yeah like because let me tell you like 20 minutes in california is like i i like generously 10 miles like it's yeah. it's it takes forever to get places and so i can see him being like oh like I, my mom's just gonna say no so i just i'm just gonna go maybe but again, maybe he didn't even know that there wasn't a basketball game. Maybe this uh, yeah. random friend said, hey, let's go. And then hey, led him yeah. into a car that was What's a bad that situation. Name one more time? Uh, Patrick Betts, B-E-T-Z, but he went by Sean, S-H-A-W-N. Okay. And it was initially thought that Betts had run away. Uh, he had been in a fight with another student at the Sierra Vista Elementary School and was due to appear before juvenile court. So uh, authorities believe that he could have run away to avoid that, but Betts' mother disagreed. In a video by Crimehound on YouTube, family members were interviewed directly, and it was said that on the morning of his disappearance, an older-sounding woman called the school to tell them that Betts had moved to live with his grandmother in Washington State. Nope. And, yeah. And this was very weird because, first of all, he hadn't. And second of all, his grandmother had lived in Washington state for a time, but she recently moved to California. And the family considered the idea that Betts had been taken by someone and given them this false information in order to tip off the family that something was wrong. Mm. Which would be kind of clever of him if, yeah. if that was like kind of a tip. Um, but it took police four months to truly begin a search for Betts. And when they did, a lot of the focus was on the Betts family themselves. 
Mm-hmm. Betz's 15-year-old brother was apparently coerced into saying that he had harmed his brother, despite the fact that at the time of his disappearance, this brother was 400 miles away, and witnesses can confirm this. So, I don't know how they coerced this uh, confession out of him, alleged confession. Um, but there was another anonymous tip that was called in, accusing the family of having buried Betts in their yard, and the yard was consequently searched, and nothing the was fuck? found. What is wrong with people? There's, like, if you watch the, the video, the Crime Hound video on YouTube, mm-hmm. there's a lot more that, like, they really dug into the family, which sometimes, yeah, I can understand that, but all in all, it seems like he had, like, a pretty good home life and a pretty good family, so I don't understand why it was that much digging. Yeah, um, like... I don't know, mm. but his friends yeah. described him as a as street smart and not somebody who would be lured away easily. He liked video games, baseball, and hanging out with his friends. Yeah. Again, he was 11 years old. I was going to say, yeah, and like, just the, I mean, like, he's a kid. Like, I mean, all of these, they're kids. It's just, it's so, yeah. I don't know. It's upsetting. Yeah. But. Um, there is a new version of the Runaway Train video. Oh! Yes. So love in, that. In 2018, on the 25th anniversary of the original video, musicians Jamie N. Commons, Skylar Gray, and Gallant collaborated with the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children to produce a new version of the video. As reported by Runaway Train 25, the new version is, quote, more than just a cover song. It's a dynamic music video designed not just for watching, but for bringing home real missing and trafficked kids near you, end quote. That's wonderful. The website goes on to say, quote, 61% of recovered children reported to NCMEC are found in the state in which they were missing. Oh, wow. The Runaway Train 25 music video shows images of real missing children in your area. Share the film with your social network and they will see missing kids closest to their zip code. If one music video could help recover 21 missing children, how many can we bring home with the power of new technology and social media? It only takes one person to find a missing kid. Help us bring them home. End quote. So this new video with the new technology that we have um, has geo tracking software that Mm -hmm. it will literally show you it auto populates uh the images of the kids to be kids in your specific area oh awesome yeah uh which is it it cuts out the whole issue that they had to deal with in the first video of manually cutting in footage this one just auto populates stuff in your area so it's so Uh, much easier like technology for as much as it sucks like it's shit like this where it's like god damn that's yeah amazing that's the right way to do it yes so you can listen to the song anywhere you get your music obviously but if you visit the website which is runawaytrain25.com you can watch the video and get more information about the project and highly recommend it um it's super great and i also want to thank specifically the resources that um, I used for this episode. The Morbid Library did kind of breakdowns on each one of the mm-hmm. still missing, mm-hmm. um, which is where I got a lot of the information because I hate just saying like they were missing this day, this time from this place. Like I want to know like something to humanize them. What are their likes? What are their dislikes? Who are they besides a missing person? And uh, how can we get people more interested than just saying, find this person who is missing on this day? And uh, the Morbid Library really did that. Um, there was a great article on Musicoholics mm-hmm. uh, about the um, runaway train video and how it came about and the backstory behind it. So that was really helpful as well. And Rolling Stone talked about the um, the new 25th anniversary version. So mm. thank you, resources. Yeah. Um, but that is it, and I'm happy to teach you about Runaway Train. Yeah, thank you. Because again, like, no idea, no idea. Yeah. <laughs> Here we are: and pop culture, true crime, come intersection. Together. Yes, yeah, that's better. Yeah, but that's that. That's that. All right. Um, well, I'll see if I can get 
they they did a lot of um obviously they have the the original photos of when all these kids went missing they do have age progressions Mm -hmm. um i'll see if we can get a couple of those on the website maybe we can get them going on the instagram and stuff Mm -hmm. um do a little bit of that so you can get more info obviously we'll link the um, music video the original music video on our socials so you can watch that and you can be like oh yeah i do know that song um, or, well because it's oh you mean the original music video not the new music video i mean we could do both obviously yeah well that's what i was gonna say because it's local wouldn't it be better to link it in our link tree because that way then they're not getting our our listeners i'm not talking about y'all like you're not in the room even though but anyway um, currently that that you can click on it and see the actual missing children in your area is what i'm thinking okay because then two birds one stone if you don't know the song you can hear the song and there we go find missing kids yeah um well you can find that our link tree is in all of the bios of our social medias. Um, we are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Patreon. You can join us for as little as a dollar, as much as whatever you want. There's different rewards at each level. You can vote on a poll, which you should do mm-hmm. uh, if you are that tier. Um, there's postcards. There's there's a lot of fun stuff brewing. I can tell you that. Ooh, it's- I love a Halloween pun. Um, we are also on, uh, you can email us crimeculturepod mm-hmm. at gmail.com. We have a website, crimeculture pod, wait, crimeculturepodcast.tumblr.com. That was it. You got it. The email is crimeculturepod at gmail.com. Um, <laughs> that is it. Do you want to tell them about Secret Satan? Sure. All right. So listen up, you stinky little babies. We have a thing. It's called Secret Satan. Basically, you have to sign up. The link is in our bio. It's a Google form. It's super easy. You just put in like your name, your contact info so that you can, you know, get your thing. Um, what it's you a like. Fun, better version of Secret Santa. Yes, because I mean, Santa gets enough. He's got a TikTok. He's got everything. Like we we get a little we get a little taste, and we send out our gifts and open them up during our hollow stream on Halloween. I say we, I mean you. Send it to your secret Satan. They'll send your secret Satan. Will send it to you. Um, but then everybody opens up. Yeah, more information will be on the. Um on the actual uh, form, I believe. Yes. But yeah, you get matched with another uh, Person. crime culture Listener. friend. Yes. And um, yeah, you send each other gifts and we open them on Halloween and it is a super fun time. Yes. And we do have deadlines this year, um, which is for the best. Um, so you have until Tuesday, September 13th, end of day to sign up for secret satan that is because when uh, like the next day wednesday september 14th don't know where may came from but okay that is when your matches go out if you don't receive an email in your inbox on september 14th at some point during the day email us on the 15th and be like hey um here's here's proof that i did the thing and i would like one please um we will see what we can do for you and then on friday October 21st, that is the deadline for sending your secret Satan gift so that your recipient can get it in time. And that way you can send us the tracking info and whatnot. So if if anything gets lost, we can pass it on to your recipient and blah, 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 which brings us to, again, Halloween, Stream. We open our gifts and yay. Yeah. Yeah. And more information on the Hollow Stream once we get there. Um, yes. We will figure out what movie we're watching, what well, time. they'll figure out what movie we're watching. Yes. We'll, we'll figure all that out as it gets a little bit closer. Um, we are in the midst of planning for Spooktober, so we don't want to jump the gun. But we want to yeah. make sure that we get the fun stuff of the Secret Satan out there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, go to our link tree. More information will be there. Again, you can shoot us a DM on any of the places and uh, we'll get back to you. If you have a good question, we might even put it in the form to help uh, other people. 
um, if something is not clear. But yeah. that's that, and I think we're done. I think we'll see them next Tuesday. We'll see you next Tuesday. We'll see you next Tuesday. All right, bye. Bye. bye.